Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Good morning, everybody. You guys catching up from that one hour less of sleep? I know it's only 10 o'clock, uh, or it's 10 o'clock, but, um, but some of you, it's like, man, that one hour, 10 o'clock, I, I need to go back to bed. And um, if you do, then don't worry. Once we get out of here, uh, you will be able to go back to bed. Welcome to, to UK uh, BCM for being here. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Um, some... Uh, some, some uh, surveys went out in the community this week and just asking people where they stand in their relationship with God. And so we pray that God will, will use that. Um, if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, that's where we'll be at this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And uh, if you've been a Christian for any uh, length of time, when I say Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, you say, wait a second, I know what that is. And uh, you're right, that's the Christmas story. And so if you're wondering why we're talking about the Christmas story when it's not Christmas, I will tell you it's okay that we talk about the birth of Jesus and uh, it doesn't have to be Christmas uh, to do so. We are walking through the book of Luke and that's where we find ourselves today in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you at some point um, to, to, to go out right um, beyond those doors and grab one that's in the hallway or, uh, or sit and look at the one uh, with your neighbor next to you because um, what, we, what we will always do here is we will always walk through the scriptures um, pretty um, uh, pretty rigorously just to, to, to explain and to expose and to apply what's actually in the text. My goal for you is that you would actually learn what the Bible says, that you'd have Bible literacy, that you would understand it, and that you'd be able to, to use it rightly yourself. Um, and so I don't want so much as your eyes to be on me as I want your eyes to be in the text, because um, that's, what, that's the whole goal here. That's the whole point. That's how God is going to move in your life. That's how power is going to happen in your life through you understanding understanding what the Bible says, okay? And, uh, and you don't want to look on me anyway, because I'll just, uh, I don't know, I'll do something silly and uh, make you laugh. And so here's what we want to do before we get into this book. Um, we have been memorizing through the books of the Bible in order, okay? And here's where we're at up until this point. Are you guys practicing? Raise your hand if you practice. Okay, come on now. I mean... <laughs> Make a, a pastor's heart warm by, by showing me that you've been practicing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read it um, out loud together, okay? So this is your chance to, like, catch back up, okay? Cram really hard. Um, I'll give you a second. Just look at it, okay? Where's a spot in which you do not uh, do, not do well, typically? And, uh, <clears throat> and get yourself ready for this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read it all. Then we're going to have Dev, Big Dev in the back to take it off the screen. And then we're going to do it by memory. And then we're going to add our, our books for today, and we're going to do it again by memory, okay? So we're exercising this uh, memorization, okay? So here's where, we, here's where we're going to go. Ready? We're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to go through it. Ready? Let's read. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, <coughs> keep going, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. All right, you did it. Okay, now what we're going to do, take it away, and um, I'm going to have call on certain people to stand up. 
and recite. Just kidding. All right, here's what we're going to do. Ready? Let's do it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Good job! I was like, wait a second, did I tell you the next books yet? Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to add these four books. We're almost done with the whole entire Bible. Um, we got to move fast because, like, again, this takes up, like, a third of my preaching time. Um, but Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ready? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Again, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Again, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Taylor Gillen this morning, I don't know if he's in here. All right, we were talking. He said, the way I memorized that was God eats popcorn. I'm like, okay. I don't think he does eat popcorn. I don't know why that is relevant, but hey, I don't know. Maybe that'll, <laughs> that'll help you memorize it, and then uh, you can know that that's also not theologically accurate, okay? God doesn't need any food. Here we go. Ready? One more time. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, ready? Take it away, Dev. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, give yourselves a round of applause. <coughs> it uh, takes my breath away to do all that. I don't want to pause because then you don't think that I know what that book is, all right? So I got to like stay with y'all. All right, good job, everybody. Um, continue to memorize that. And uh, what my hope is ultimately, like I said, is that you'd be curious as to what's inside those books and that you'd want to read them for yourselves and understand what God's word says. Today, Luke chapter two, starting in verse one, and we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna read. You ready? In those days, <clears throat> a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the of the house and of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. What an awesome passage. And we've been walking through the book of Luke, and here we are. We find ourselves in one of the greatest pinnacles of the entire book, but also the entire storyline of God. Um, We find Jesus coming to earth. And what's so incredible about this picture is that is that when we see it, our, our mind tends to move towards uh, uh, Christmas emotions or, or, or holiday feelings, but, but there's so much more going on here than, than just that. Um, because the background and the, the context and the understanding of what God is doing here doesn't just give us a glimpse into the, the manger scene. This gives us a glimpse into who God is. And when we see what God is actually doing here, there's uh, nothing else to say and nothing else to understand than we have a mighty God who does what he pleases, he can do whatever he wants, and he acts on behalf of his people. And what's incredible is that what this shows us, what this picture really just points us to, is how big our God is. And how strong and mighty our God is. This passage allows us to brag on the Lord for just a minute. And what explicitly we see in the birth of Jesus Christ is that God fulfilled everything that he said he was going to fulfill. He does what he, says he, was, what he said he was going to do. And we're going to see that. And so what I want us to see uh, more than anything this morning is that, and it's up on the screen, the birth of Jesus Christ displays God's character and sovereignty to act according to his word. And so let me me say it again and look at this, that the birth of Jesus Christ, what we just read, and we're going to walk through the whole story in just a second, displays God's character, his heart, and his sovereignty to act according to his word. To say it very simply, the birth of Jesus Christ shows us that our God acts. He does things. He performs action. He does what he says, what he said he was going to do, or what he says he's going to do. God acts concretely, definitively. He moves, he works, he accomplishes things. And I want you to see that and to find confidence in God. God does this in this picture by his character through through the the great heart, the loving heart that he has for his people, he takes initiative and he follows through. If you think about over all the course of time, I mean, you know the story of God's people? Yes? And over the course of time, he would have given his, his, uh, or his people would have given him a lot of reason to kind of change uh, his tune, to change his, his, uh, his storyline, to, to maybe pull back and say, yeah, I was going to send you guys a redeemer and uh, a messiah to save your soul, but man, you guys have really like messed things up. So let me like, I'm going to change my mind. We're not going to do that whole thing anymore. I don't know how much I really want to be with you guys, right? Like he doesn't do that. He holds true to his word out of his loving heart and character, but also we see it in his sovereignty, his power, his supreme, unlimited, absolute, unrestricted, unrestrained, unbounded, boundless, infinite, ultimate, total, unconditional, full ability to do what he said he was going to do. That's who God is. And so out of his sovereignty to reign supremely over all things and out of his great loving heart and character, God fulfills his word. Now listen, if you say, yes, you're right, I understand this. Let me tell you, you need to be astounded by this. Think about this. 
God actually followed through with what he said he was going to do. In this picture of the birth of Jesus Christ, we look at this and you say, he did it. <laughs> like, this is it. Here's the picture. God did it. He actually did it. He followed through. He put feet to the plan, literally. He, he followed through. Listen, ready? God is on earth now. God's on earth. God is, he's on earth now. Listen, God, he's on earth. He's touched down. He's landed. And he's come to save his people. And he took initiative and he followed through. And he's trustworthy and he actually did it. The birth of Jesus Christ shows us that our Christianity, our God, not just a means of helpful, mere helpful good thought, positivity, and philosophically, uh, a philosophical theory that will be maybe good for our mind and our heart to create positive behavior until the day that we die. Christianity is is real, it's, it's possible to become a Christian because God acts, he does things. And what we see in this is that a God, our God shows us that he's a real God who performs real acts for real purposes for, on behalf of his people. And I just wonder if you think that that's true or if you live like that's true. And we're gonna, we're gonna walk through this and I'm gonna show you some things, but you know, for me, especially in maybe like dark and hard times, it's easy to maybe move into a functionality of Christianity that is theoretical. Like, yeah, this stuff is, is great, and, and God's word says some wonderful things, and these are real great beliefs, and, uh, and, and, and man, this, this brings about a hope, but like actually believing that God fulfills his promises, acts on his word, will do what he says, that's, that's a whole nother story. I, I'll, I can tend to move into almost that this is just kind of buying me time to stay positive until the day that I die. And especially you move into that struggle when you don't see God's movement in your life. When maybe prayers go unanswered, right? Maybe they go unanswered for years. And maybe you move into a place where you're really not sure if this is actually true or God is actually going to do it. It's a great way to live. It's very positive and helpful and healthy for your family. But I'm really not sure whether or not God actually is going to follow through. And it's actually hard for me to believe that he does or even bank on the fact that he does act or even pray like he would act. And I want to tell you that that is a hard place to live, a bad place to live, and I want you to move into a place and where you pray to a God who acts, that you expect God to act, that you trust in his character and his sovereignty, that he does act. Let me show you the leading up to this place of Jesus being born. Looking from the very beginning, Genesis 3, verses 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, remember this in the garden? Remember? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. 
and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is that pointing to? The day when Jesus would come and do his work for salvation. And that was in the very beginning, like the first two people ever to exist, right? And so that quote, that place in which God is speaking to us in his word doesn't really matter unless God comes through on what he says. And then we see even further, remember, into the time of the prophets, Micah 5, 2, look at this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Like out of Bethlehem is, going to become, is coming the ruler of all people, the Savior, the Messiah. And that doesn't mean anything unless it happens, unless God comes through on his word. Or what about just even more recently in Luke chapter one, when we see the angel visit Mary, remember that? And she's afraid and she's like, "Uh, I'm not sure uh, how this is gonna be possible, but the angel speaks and says, don't be afraid. Check this out, what he says to her. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name what? Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. See, that word, those words to Mary from the angel, they don't mean anything unless God comes through and follows through in what he said he was going to do. And even further into last week, when we see Zechariah's song of praise. Remember this? If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go and listen. And here's what he says to Zechariah. Blessed, or this is what Zechariah says out of the overflow of what, um, what he's seeing the Lord do in, the, in prophecy from the movement of the Holy Spirit. He says, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited, and, and I want to stop right there and and, and capitalize that word visited there. What does that mean? Because we didn't touch on it last week. Well, visited, the idea of that fact that God has visited means that he is divine. He is coming from another place. He is coming to his people. He is not of this world. He has not been uh, formed here. He is of somewhere else, and he is coming to visit. He's coming to, to be with his people. So that's a prediction of what Jesus was going to do, and we know this as we go further, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of power of salvation in the house of his servant David. All of this was said of what Jesus was going to come and what Jesus was going to to do when he was going to come and how he was going to come and what he was going to do. But listen, what we're seeing this week is now God fulfilling what he said he was going to do and sending his son. This wasn't just wishful thinking. This wasn't just wishful thinking. And so the birth of Jesus Christ shows us that God acts on behalf of his people. And I think in light of this, we should eagerly expect God to continue to do so. That we get a glimpse into his action, and we see that God uses a lot of means to get his son to earth, and we're gonna look at him But what we know is that God works through all these various means to affect his purposes, and they give us confidence that God is able to, and out of the overflow of the character that he has, act 
continually on behalf of his people. So what do we see in this passage as we walk through it into how God performed these acts? How he got his son to earth, his sovereignty over all things, which gives us confidence that God is able to and will continue to act in the life of a believer. Let's look, ready? The first thing that we see is the timing. God displays his sovereignty over the time, the timing. This is real time. God is acting in real time. This is not fictitious. He's doing this. This is like an actual time in history, okay? So like we got this in history books. This is real time. God is orchestrating the timing. He is displaying his sovereignty over time. He decides the timing of things. This is God moving. Where do we see this? Let's look at it. Ready? So it says, verse chapter 2, stay in your Bible. Now's the time that you keep your eyes in the text, okay? So in those days, what days? Well, the days of something of a particular leader that we're going to see in a minute. It could be confusing there when you look at it that says in those days after what we just saw in verse 80 of chapter 1, which is that John the Baptist grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance uh, to, to Israel. So you could say, oh, it's in those days while well, John the Baptist was in the wilderness that he's speaking of. But we know that's not true because of what we see in just a second. Actually, verse 80 of chapter Chapter 1 springs up, springboards us about 30 years into uh, chapter 3, verse 1, when John the Baptist would start his public ministry, okay? So, so that's not the days that we're talking about. We're talking about a, the days when there existed something in the land. What existed in the land? A decree existed in the land. And it not only existed on its own, but it was from somebody. Who was this decree from? Now stay with me, because I'm just giving you the, the timing here. Well, the decree was from someone named Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman ruler. He was ruled over Rome, the Roman Empire. And in many ways, he was thought to be, as many rulers were at that time, divine. Like, he is sovereign over all things, which we see in the story that he's not, right? And so this timing here, let me just show you. So, so this, this, this Caesar Augustus, okay, he reigned from about 27 B.C. Or, or around 30 B.C. maybe even into up to about 14 A.D., Okay, so this is like real history. This is real time. This is actually happening. God is actually acting in real time. I want you to be aware of that. And he set up what was known to be a census, okay, that a census would occur every 14 years to count the people. Now listen, his true name, I love this. Do anyone know his real name? Gaius Octavius, okay? That's his true name. I love that because that sounds like you're straight out of a Marvel movie, okay? So like Gaius Octavius, he's coming out and he's saying, listen, here's what I want to do. I want to count the people every 14 years. Why? Well, for tax purposes, so I can make sure I get my dough. And also, in addition to that, I'd probably like to relish in the fact of how many people I rule over, right? He's explaining that this census needs to happen, or we see that the, the passage is explaining that there's a census, and we know that this census happens every 14, every 14 years. We actually have a lot of evidence um, of, the, of the actual censuses from about 20 A.D. to about 270 A.D. They continue to reoccur. And so what we see in this, in this, in this picture is that Luke is putting this this in a particular context. Listen, ready? He's putting this into real life for us. He's putting this into actual history for us. Remember, this book of Luke is written to who? The 
Gentile world, not the Jewish world, right? This is written to the Gentile world, so he's actually putting this in a secular, real-time context for the people who are reading who are not of Jewish descent to understand that this is actually happening. This is not fictitious, this is not hopeful thinking, this is not some just great theoretical story that makes us happy when we read it. This is actually occurring. And so what we see even further, or what we know, and I'll just kind of summarize a lot of this, is that we know that there was supposed to be or probably a census around AD, uh, 8 AD, which if you put us back 14 years brings us into somewhere into the realm of, of right before we turn to AD, which is B. All right, you're awake. So, listen, right? And so that leaves us somewhere in in the ballpark of of maybe around 2 to 4 B.C. Um, We think that there was necessarily supposed to be a census somewhere around 8 B.C., but maybe it it was late. And we know that this time, listen, this time was a time in which the census was supposed to take place. And we know that this was the first of the censuses because the Scripture tells us. Turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Acts chapter 5, verse 37. Just flip over a couple books real quick. Acts chapter 5, verse 37. I just want you to see all this, because the text is telling us it, so I want you to understand why the text is telling us this. Verse 37 of chapter 5. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the what? Census. That's the second one. And so we move back into our passage in Luke chapter 2, and there's we, we see is the first one. Now listen, as we're looking about the time and the timing, we also keep into account that there was a man named Quirinius, okay, Quirinius. And Quirinius, we know, was an actual ruler of Syria, Okay, so what we know for sure, though, is that his reign started in about 6 AD, which makes this confusing, because, like, why was he ruling? But most people think that he was either co-ruler before that, maybe that started around 6 BC, or that he had two reigns, one in 6 AD and one in 6 BC, and that that lasted a couple years, 6 or 7 BC. And so what we see in all of this is that these are real people. This is real time. This is actually happening, right? And so if we flip even to to one page over, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, okay, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, we see that John the Baptist, he started his ministry in the 15th year of the reign of who? Tiberius, and that was a real person in a real time, and we know that Tiberius reigned right after Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, and <laughs> say that five times fast, and so that must have started his reign in sometime around 14 A.D. Because remember, the Caesar ended his rule in about 14 A.D. So here's what we see: is that he started his public ministry in about that 15th year which puts us somewhere around A.D. 29. And then, if you want more information, let's look even further to chapter 3, verse 22. Just follow along a little bit further, and we see that Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about how old? 30 years of age, the Bible actually tells us. And what we know from the language surrounding all of John the Baptist's work and all of Jesus' work here is that the, the language here displays that 
probably Jesus didn't start his ministry too far after John the Baptist started his ministry. So maybe like six months to a year. So if we put this all together, we got the 15th year, which is about 27 AD. We got about 30 years back because we know that this was around the time that Jesus started his ministry. So we move back. Again, puts us around two uh, to maybe even six, uh, somewhere in that range BC. We can also take into account that when we know that Jesus was born, there was a ruler whose name was, he wanted to kill all the kids, Herod, Herod the Great. And what we know about Herod is that Herod died in 4 BC. And so he wanted to kill at some point while he was still reigning all the kids who were under two to prevent anyone taking his throne. And so that would put us again sometime in the realm of 6 BC. I show you all this to tell you that we're probably off in the movement from AD to BC. Someone probably got that wrong, okay? What we see in this timing, it helps us to understand that, okay? Just so you know, like we switch from BC to AD, which means the day of the Lord. And that would mean like after the first year of AD, because it goes from 1 BC to 1 AD, after the first year of AD, that would mean that that was the end of the first year of Jesus' life, just like we celebrate a birthday at the end of the first year. Well, what we know is that all of this doesn't match really perfectly um, to, to Jesus coming into the world because of what we see in the scriptures, but that's beside the point, okay? We can blame that on uh, whoever invented that. I know that I could probably know that, but I didn't look it up, okay? So, but that's not why I'm telling you all this, okay? I'm telling you this because the, the Bible has these figures, has these moments, has these points to show us that this is actually happening in real time history. This is not fictitious. This is not a God who speaks of theoretical things and doesn't ever come through actually concretely in his word. He actually moves. He does things. He acts. We see this time frame and God gives us a time frame. Luke gives us the time frame to show us that God fulfills the plan that he has in actual time. We can trust that he has a time and that he acts. And so we see this registration of Caesar Augustus. We see Quirinius being governor of Syria. And we see this census actually taking place. And I want to ask you the question. As you look at God acting in real time, do you have a trust that God does act and that God will act in his timing, in real time, in your life? Is this something theoretical to you that actually doesn't play itself out by you trusting or asking God to act on your behalf? Do you see his movement? Do you, do you trust that he does move, that he is working in the life of believers and across the world to do real things? We see God act over in real time. The second thing that we see are the people the people involved. So God displays his sovereignty over the timing. He acts in real time. God displays his sovereignty over the people. There are real people involved. We've mentioned a lot of them, but put your eyes back on the text. You ready? We got Caesar Augustus. We got Quirinius, and he was a governor, and these are real leaders in real time, right? And then we see that there's also other people involved, okay? There are other people who went to be registered, 
Those are like masses, crowds of people that went to be registered each to his own town. Listen, we also know from like Egyptian uh, census that, that people, we, we see that people had to move or migrate back into their original hometown in order to be counted there, right? And then what we see even further is we see David, the David's name mentioned, who he is the one, is the city, uh, the, the city that they are going to, Bethlehem, the city of, of David. We also see mainly our main characters, Mary and Joseph, right? But here's what we see in this picture. Listen, the rulers and the people involved, these are real people and God is acting in real time to accomplish real things in the life of real people. This is not a fictitious story. This is not a a, a theoretical movement. God is actually working in the lives of these people, but here's what's also so wonderful. You ready? Listen, these people were pretty powerful. Not Mary and Joseph. But Caesar and Quirinius, they were powerful people. Again, even known to most people as divine. Like they had control over, over, over people and over government and over nature and over things in which no mere human has all control over. But yet what God does here is make these people look like pawns. Because they're all about, and they're busy doing their thing and, and migrating the people for tax purposes to their hometown so they can get their money and so that they can be seen as great. And God said, you don't understand. I'm actually using you for my plan. God is sovereign over all these people. The third thing that we see in our passage is the location, the locations that are involved. God displays his sovereignty over these destinations, these directions, these locations. Look what's happening. So they went, verse 3, all to be registered to, his, the, to their hometown. And Joseph also went up from where? Galilee. From the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. These are real places that God predicted beforehand would actually be a part of the Savior coming forth, right? Where he would be born, where he would be coming from. And God is actually directing these people in real time to the places in which he said he was going to direct them. He is in control. He is sovereign over all of this to get his son to the place in which he wanted to get his son to. He is sovereign over all of these things. The next thing that we see in our passage is that he is sovereign over all the circumstances. The circumstances, we see the circumstances, that God displays his sovereignty over the circumstances. Now, follow with me. We got a census. We got everyone going back to his hometown to be registered. We got them coming from Nazareth, going to Bethlehem. David is betrothed to Mary, so it's a little bit more formal than the um, engagement that we see nowadays. This is almost as if you're already married, so Mary's going with him. And not only that, but listen, Mary is also with child. How convenient when she's going to have a baby in the city of of David. And while they were there, look at this, verse 6. Keep your eyes on the text. The time came. What time was that? That was God's time. Once again, his time for her to give birth. Just when they were in the right place in which God wanted to bring them. And she gave birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, 
and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now, I love this because what we see is the means and the circumstances in which God desired to send his son into the world, and they were of humble circumstances. You don't, we don't look at a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and say, ruler, although he was, he is. We look at a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and we think humility. We think precious. And that was God's plan all along, to send his son in a way, in an innocent way, in a humble way. And he laid him in a manger. What we know about this is that he probably was, they, they probably uh, was laid, or what we see in this manger, in a feeding trough that was good to feed animals. So this was part of God's plan, to orchestrate the circumstances, to send his son in a way that was, it was humble that showed that he had come to not, to not um, come in as a, as a mighty king, but to come in as a servant. And so then what we see is that there was no place for them at the inn, and this wasn't by accident. This wasn't by accident. God orchestrated these circumstances to put him in a humble, to, to bring him in in a humble way. And I love that, that picture, that last verse, look at it, verse seven, because there was no place for him at the end, which points us to what Jesus' life would look like while he was here on earth, that there would be no place for him, that there would be no place for him among the people he came to die for. And I love all of this, and we move through it all quickly, and there's so many details that we can see through it. But what it shows us is that God has orchestrated all of these circumstances. He is sovereign over all of these issues. He has coordinated and orchestrated like a symphony. He is using the people, using the circumstances, deciding the plans, redirecting the destinations, choosing the means, all in, in to get his son here at the right time in the right place so that God could act like he said he was going to act. The birth of Jesus Christ shows God fulfilling his word and following through on his plans and truly meaning to save us. He is sovereign over all of them. God acts and uses whatever means he wants to do so. And so as we look at this, there are principles for us, church. And there's principles for you to say, unless you say, well, what does this all mean for me? Listen, what we can see from this story is that God works through various means to affect his purposes. And God will fulfill his word in the life of a believer as we trust him to act. And his action will not be thwarted by circumstances or by foe. God will do what he says he's going to do. And so for us, there's great hope in that. There's great hope because you can trust God to act. You can trust him to act. You can trust him to move. You can pray for him to act. You can praise him because he has acted over history and he will act in your life. Listen, you can lean into the promises that God has in his word. Lean into them. Take his promises for what they say. Trust them. Pray for him to act. Don't wonder if he's going to or, or, if he, or if he is the habit of doing so or if he's sovereign over all things or if something could thwart his plans. Lean into his promises. Take refuge in his word. Trust him by faith. As you look to his word, he will act in your life as you look to him. The principle for us is that in light of God's definitive act in sending his son, we should pray, we should expect, we should trust God to act in our lives as we look to him. 
The Bible says in Romans 8, 32, that he who did not spare his own son, will he not also graciously give us all things? And so we see God move and God act. Again, if you're anything like me, I need to be reminded of this because my Christianity, my trust, my faith in God, my walk with him can turn into um, something that almost disbelieves that God is actually gonna follow through on what he says he's going to do. And it can become theoretical or, or just well-meaning hope. And I want us to look to a God who acts because we sell him short when we don't. He moves. And as we close today, and my encouragement again to you is very simple, is that you would look to, that you would pray to, that you would expect from, that you would trust in a God who acts, that you would look to him and lean into his promises and trust his word to act on your behalf. But as we close here today, we know that this wasn't his final act, um, and that we know that this act was to point to the greater act of him actually going to the cross to die on our behalf. Jesus' birth, God's act in sending his son was ultimately to fulfill God killing his, his son on the cross for us and for our sin. And so aren't you thankful that God not only acted in sending his son Jesus to earth, but that he acted in actually putting him up on the cross and that Jesus followed through by acting on our behalf and by taking God's wrath for us, that our sins could be paid for, and that you could have a right relationship with God. Listen, if we don't have a God who acts, we got nothing, right? We have empty hope. And so Jesus, he willingly took your place by moving, by walking, by going to the cross to pay for your sin. And because of that action, you can have a right standing, a right relationship with God. And so what we're gonna do as we close today is we're gonna take up communion to remember God's act, his work, by coming to earth and dying on the cross for our sin. And here's what I want you to do. When I pray in just a minute, I want you to sit in your seat and I want you to ask God to, to first and foremost to remind you of his activity. Listen, or to help you to believe it. That you would be reminded of how God has acted throughout the world and over time and especially in sending his son and especially by his son going to the cross to die on your behalf. That you would believe it, that you would remember it, that you would spend a second in prayer remembering what God has done through the gospel. And then secondly, my prayer is that you would repent, that you would spend some time in repentance, confessing to God how maybe your, your belief in him, your faith, your trust has grown cold and that you would move into a place in which you are praising him for his activity. And then finally, my prayer is that after you've done all that, you would spend some time in your seat praying for some things in which you need God to act for in your life. Out of the overflow, the confidence that God acts on behalf of his people, that you would sit and that you would spend some time begging him to move, begging him to act through the gospel on your behalf or on the behalf of the people in your world who, who you need God to move in. And then when you're done, my encouragement is that you would come up to the table and that you would take of the cup and that you would take of the cracker and that you would bring it back to your seat and once again praise God for his work through the gospel and that you would drink and that you would eat and when you were done, you would stand and you would praise God again. My, 
my um, caution to you is that if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, then um, I'm really, really glad that you're here and glad that um, we get to help you move towards a relationship with Jesus. But this table isn't for you because, um, because the Bible said it would almost make a mockery of it because we can't take and remember of something that we actually don't believe in. And um, so my encouragement is that you would spend some time in your seat yourself and maybe even put your faith in Jesus for the very first time, telling him that you trust his act of sending his son and trust the act that he completed by dying on the cross for your behalf. Believers and non-believers, I pray that you would take some time in your seat and the believers when you're ready that you would come up and take communion. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and the message is very simple. God, we just see that that you, through this story, show us your action. I love this because we just got done reading Zechariah who praised you for all the things that you were about to do or that you were doing. And yet, God, we don't just see that hanging on nothing. We see in the very next little bit that, God, you actually fulfilled, you completed what you said you were gonna do. You took initiative. You acted on behalf of your people. You came through. You put yourself here on earth. And what that shows us, God, is not only that you meant what you said when you were eager to save our souls from the penalty of our sin, but that you are a God who fulfills his word and takes action. And God, I pray that the people in this room today would not be people who think of you as as one who is far off, or as one who does not come through on his promises or fulfill his word. The answer might be no sometimes in our lives, but that does not mean you are idle. You follow through, you commit, you act on behalf of your people and for your own glory. And I pray that we would be a people who look to a God who moves, a God who is moved to action by his own heart and by his own character, and we would trust in you to do so. We would lean into your promises. We would trust in your word. We would pray to you with expectation, and we would understand that you move, you move for your own glory and for our good. We don't want to sell you short, God. Your arm is not shortened that you can't save, and God, you are a God who completes what he says he's going to do. So I pray that as we take some time in our seats that we would remember the gospel. We would remember your activity over the course of history. But not only that, we would remember, we would look to even the work that you've done in our own lives. God, that we would repent after we've remembered what you've done, that we would repent by by confessing to you where our belief has wavered, where our, our love has grown cold, where our faith has been diminished, where we have sold you short and looking at you not in a God who acts and fulfills his word, but one who merely just has good intentions. And God, that we would then turn and believe the gospel again and trust in you and what you have done already on our behalf through the gospel. And God, through that, in light of that, that we would beg you with all of our hearts to continue to move, to move in profound ways, to save uh, souls, to, 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 to continue to work in the hearts of the people around us, so that your purposes would, would be accomplished throughout the world. We would trust in your promises, and we would look to you to fulfill them. God, I pray if there's not anybody, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that you would move in their heart, that they would see that, that this is not just uh, um, a good-intentioned, uh, moral um, pursuit to become a Christian, but that it's 
giving their whole lives and trusting in a God who has accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish by sending his son, by his son living, by you, Jesus, living a perfect life, and by Jesus, you willingly going to the cross to die on our behalf. I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you that they would trust in that through what you've done. God, we give this time to you. Help us to be a people who trust in a God who acts. In Jesus' name, amen.